Hey everyone, welcome to the ANA show. Today we're going to do a status check on my sobriety, see where I'm at, how I'm feeling as far as my health goes, things like my energy levels, mental clarity, sleep, and of course my blood pressure. And then we're going to go into the Monday message. I really want to talk about something I've been focusing on to help me through this first week or so of staying sober. And it has to do with changing the way I think. And then I have my amazing sister on to help tell the story of the time I was diagnosed with body dysmorphia. And by the end of that, maybe you'll have an idea of what body dysmorphia is and what it's like to live with it. So let's get after it. to announce that I've been sober for eight days straight now. I'm feeling great. My energy levels are up. I'm getting really good sleep. Uh, you know, it, it was only two weeks ago I'd wake up from a terrible night's sleep. You know, I'd get up, go to work, be all sluggish, make it through the work day, get off work, and head to the liquor store, get something to drink. It would either be like a fifth of uh, Evan Williams 100 proof or it'd be uh, four to five of those butterscotch flavored 99s. Now, if you don't know what that is, they're 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 not miniatures, but they're slightly bigger and the brand is called 99 and they have different flavors and I believe they're either 99 proof or 100 proof and I always always get the butterscotch flavor. That was my, my thing. I love those things. And a lot of times if I got the little butterscotch 99s, I'd pop one open on the way home. And so I'd get home and make me some, you know, two to three strong drinks. And before I know it, I wake up in the middle of the night. I guess I just passed out. And the reason I'd wake up is because my heart was pounding. I guess it was that blood pressure that was waking me up. You know, definitely not a good thing. And so I'd eventually fall back to sleep, wake up, you know, the alarm would go off. And I'd be like, crap, you know, feeling like I did not get any rest at all, which because I didn't. And tell myself as I'm getting ready to go to work that, you know, today is going to be different. We're going to go to work, come home, get that good rest. Don't put any alcohol in my body. And lo and behold, I do it again. Day after day after day. And so now I'm getting some good sleep. Uh, Waking up, feeling refreshed, feeling completely rested. And, you know, to my blood pressure point, it's down. It's down to regular levels so that's awesome Uh, my mental clarity is great I feel more focused uh, not in a fog and and, you know a lot of times when I was drinking a lot I almost felt like it was hard for me even put together words sometimes not even able to have a you know a good conversation and you know I feel like I'm able to actually communicate better and talk better Uh, you might not understand what I'm saying but I understand what I'm saying but anyway but I also know that I'm not out of the woods just yet. You know, every day is a battle. You know, I step out of the door to face the day. I'm on guard all day because I know anything could happen to make me lose focus and say, screw it all. This ain't worth it. I am what I am. I'm an alcoholic. Might as well just face it. I'm going to get a drink. You know, I could, you know, after I publish this episode, I could, you know, stump my toe and say, you know what? Screw it all. I'm getting a drink. You know, that's just how it is. 
and I accept it. I'm just keeping it real. But I, I, I know that I'm in a pretty good state of mind right now, and I know I can get that two-week mark. And so I want to go into the Monday message with something that I've been using to try to help me through this past week or so, and that is trying to change the way I think. And before I get into that, I want to tell you about a guy named Roger Bannister. Roger Bannister, if you've never heard of him, of course I never heard of him until a while back, but back in 1954, everybody had it in their mind that running a mile under four minutes was impossible. They call it the impossible barrier. There's been people get that mile ran, you know, four minutes, one second or so, but they, they always were convinced that running it below four minutes was impossible until Roger, Roger Bannister did it. And so they were all pretty much shocked. They couldn't believe it. You know, something that they believed in their minds and thought was impossible was achieved. And so you would think uh, an accomplishment like that, you know, a record like that would hold and uh, never be broken. And if it was broken, it would be a long time. Because, like I said, they thought it was impossible. However, it was broken. It was That record was beaten 46 days later. So, let me, let, me, let me repeat again. Something I thought was impossible was achieved, and then it was actually beaten 46 days later. Now, why is that? To me, that tells me people believed one thing, they thought one thing, but then when it was actually done, their mind, in, in, in a way, was rewired to believe something different. So they knew that it could be done. And so someone else did it and did it better. And ever since then, there's been over a thousand people run a mile under four minutes. And so why am I telling you this? I'm telling you this because if you're in a slump, if you're an addict, you can't quit something. You think your life is never going to get better. You're never going to change for the good. And you're going to be in this pit for the rest of your life. Then, then that's the truth that's what it is you never will but I think we should think different which is what I've been doing I think we should believe we should think that we can do better that you can break your addiction you can break through your depression you can get that job promotion you can get a better life and I'm a firm believer in the phrase if you believe it you can achieve it and so that's what I've been focusing on so please I want to I want to challenge you to change the way you think because that's what I'm doing it's helped me out so far and I just believe that if you believe you can do better that you can do better and so now let's get to the story okay well it's story time I'm here with my sister Amy uh Say hello, Amy. Hello. So we're going to tell the story of the time, or that time I was diagnosed with body dysmorphia. And I know, I know you work, you know, six days a week usually, so I really appreciate you being here. I know you already had a rough morning starting out with some bullshit, but... No problem. Anyway, uh, 
So why don't you just start us out from the beginning? The I know it all started out with you getting a phone call. So just why don't you take over? And as you as you tell the story, I'll jump in here and there, and and uh, we'll talk about different things. So go ahead, take off. Okay, so I, I remember uh, at the time that I worked for Papa John's delivering pizzas, and I always closed the store down. So it was it was probably roughly about one or two o'clock in the morning, and it was about maybe about seven years ago or so. I think it was. If it wasn't late 2013, it was early 2014 because I remember not long after that is when I went started the riverboat job. Yeah, that's right. Um, you were working at Olive Garden, and I remember you had just got paid, and I don't remember if you told me that you were, I think you were told me you were going to hang out with some friends or whatever, and um, I just remember it being like one or two o'clock in the morning, and we were cleaning up the store, we'd already closed, and you called me, which was weird in of itself, because you really didn't do that at that time of morning, um, and, and you were... When I said hello, you didn't really respond really quick, but I could hear you sobbing, and I just kept saying, Travis, what's wrong? And then you started trying to tell me a story about, you know, you'd been out drinking, and something about your wallet, and you were just hysterical, and I couldn't tell if you were laughing or crying or or what was going on, but I knew that I had to leave. I had to leave work and come and check on you. And and I told my supervisor, I've, I've got to go. Something's wrong. Something's wrong. And you lived across town in an apartment. Um, um, yeah, I lived, lived in an apartment, and I was living by myself at the time. I had a roommate, but it, uh, a few months before that, he, he, uh, he moved out. So I was by myself. About that night, from what I remember... I know there's a guy named Jeremy I used to work with, and one of his friends I just met that night. And I, I, from what I can remember, I think we were just out drinking. I was completely wasted. And I don't know if I spent all my money, but I was convinced that I had more money than I should have. I should have had more money home than I did. And I thought either right. I lost it or I spent it all, but I was flipping out because, I mean... It's the whole paycheck. That was my pretty much my whole paycheck, and I don't then I wasn't convinced that I spent it all so who knows what happened to that but I know I was pretty hysterical uh you know like I was sobbing and all that and uh so yeah so go on um well anyway so I told my supervisor I had to go you know um I had to I had to go check on you well so you lived across town and I drove as fast as I could the whole time. I'm telling, I'm talking to God. And I'm like, please, please don't let me, please don't let me be too late. Don't let me be too late. And I'm just driving hysterically across town. And, um, and, and when when you say too late, I think I need to add that I, I believe I was, maybe I said something that was hinting towards harming myself. And I believe at the time I was attempting to cut my wrists and uh, a pretty, it was a pretty feeble attempt. But I remember I was doing that. And I know I locked, I locked the door and, you know, I was, as I, I was cutting my wrist, it was bleeding, not too much. It wasn't too bad of a cut because I mean, people will be surprised how much pressure you got to apply to actually do that. Yeah. And I was, you know, as I was doing it, I remember thinking like, wow, this is not working. So then I hear a bang on the door and that was you. And, and you, you came, it seemed like you came to the door 
and you were just sobbing saying you're sorry you're sorry I'm sorry and because you lived in a multi-level complex I was trying to be quiet and just like traps come to the door open the door mm-hmm. and I finally convinced you to open the door and there you are you've you've tried to to cut your wrist and you just you just kind of broke down in my arms and I called 911 because I, I didn't know if I mean you weren't like squirting blood everywhere but it was blood and and I didn't know if you could have died or um what was what was happening um so the the first responders get there and and you'd agreed to go to the hospital um so we go to the hospital and they they suggested that you know you, you go to a behavioral health center and you you agreed to it you agreed to stay there and you were there for i believe it was three days three days or so yeah so i i went to this behavioral health center and before I get into that, I do remember just like how how much how much of a stench did I have on me from alcohol? Did you, the smell. You, the smell of alcohol. I mean, was it, it smelled like it a reeked of alcohol. Yeah. yeah. And so yes, I I decided you know I agreed to go to this behavioral health center, and just to start the journey to that, I want everyone to picture being you know wheeled out in a wheelchair into a van. And uh, you're you're strapped down in this wheelchair in this van, and then you're escorted to this facility. So you're already getting a an ominous feeling, you know, like how 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 fucked up am I in my head, okay? But at the same time, you're like, well, if I am this fucked up in my head, I really should be going to this place and getting something figured out because I did know something was going on, which we'll get into later on, because I do end up talking, you know, the therapist and psychologist and all that while I'm there, and we figure it out. And I want to explain what this place is like. So hopefully none of you have, but if some of you have been to jail, like I have multiple times, it's similar to that. Now I ain't trying to cast any negative, you know, overtones or whatever to this place because it's, it's to help people. So one, you get there and, uh, it's going to get explicit here for a second, but you, you know, you have to do the old bend over and they give you a check to see if you might be hiding anything. I'm just like, well, uh, well, I don't understand that, but anyway, it happens. Uh, then they put you in scrubs, much much like you would be in jail. And then you get shoes, much like the shoes, maybe a little better than the and shoes Bob you get. Barkers. <laughs> yeah, you know, something like that, you know, and hopefully they fit good. And so then you're, you're taken, it depends on what time you get there, I guess, but just to briefly explain the room you're in, everything in the room is made to where you can't harm yourself. So it's just like a jail. Now you get a better bed, obviously. You know, there's a, there's a shower and a toilet and all that, but you know, as far as the mirrors, all objects, everything is made to where you you can't hurt yourself. So, so yeah, I don't know. Were you about to add something else to that? Well, no, I just I just remember you being there for three days and. And I, um, yeah, go say get, sorry. Getting out, and we we finally had well, what we thought was a diagnosis. Yeah, well, we did, but before we get to that, I remember you telling me something about when you took a visit back to the apartment seeing something that kind of made you stressed and worried you remember that as far as bottles notes stuff wrote down on them you remember that i remember you telling me something about that well i mean other than you know the whiskey bottles and the knives because mm-hmm. i mean if i'm not mistaken i think you had tried more than one knife 
Um, Possibly. But thankfully, the knife that you had tried was kind of serrated, and that's not... That's kind of what saved your life, too. Um, well, I remember you telling me that something that's... Straight, now, this is going to, you know, foreshadow what's coming up here soon about my diagnosis. You said you saw not only all the, the liquor bottles and stuff, but you also saw notes of, like, workouts, food. Oh, yeah. yeah. Remember that? Yeah. Like, I mean, it was almost like a strategic... It was like some kind of professional book that would tell you, but it was a notebook. You know, if you eat this piece of bread or two pieces of bread, this is how many push-ups or leg squats or whatever it was you needed to do to work that off. Um, or if but it was all wrote. This, it was probably all wrote down in pencil, right? Yeah, it was all wrote down in a notebook, and it, it was everything that you would eat, and you knew exactly what you needed to do to work that off because. You know, it had this many carbs in it, or it had that many calories in it, or this sugar intake in it. And that's the first time that I'd ever seen with my own eyes that something that's coming from your mind to a piece of paper, other than just knowing about you, having, having like this workout ethic about you, it went beyond that because then I realized that you knew exactly what you needed to do to work this, whatever you had eaten or drink, uh, off and what you needed to do to get that out of your system right and this is one of the reasons why i wanted to make this one of my you know i should have probably done this the first episode but at least it is the second because i mean i've always been i guess you could say in the fitness and stuff like that you know even now i, I hit the gym quite a bit I, I eat i try to eat as healthy as possible you know you know you know five to six healthy meals a day it's just a part of who i am but at this point it was really just getting uh, a little sinister a little insidious a little just like infecting my mind making me think and do things that are a little irrational and so basically while I'm while I'm at this uh, behavioral health rehab facility I, I talk with people and tell them what's going on and so let me tell you what I told them let me tell the audience and it's the weirdest thing because you know it's it just feels silly saying it but basically in a nutshell Everything negative that happened to me, every rejection I might have got from, uh, let's just say a female or just like any, just any incident that might have happened to me that had a negative impact on me, I took it out on how I looked. Mm -hmm. And I felt like I needed to go to the gym, I needed to do this, I needed to eat healthier, you know, cut this out. So every little negative thing that happened, I was automatically assuming that it was something to do with how I looked. And I was never doing enough. And every, you know, you mentioned earlier, I was working at Olive Garden. You know, this wasn't the only place, you know, that this happened. But it, it seemed like every time I went to a mirror, I was looking in a mirror, I had to like say, hey, man, you're not doing enough. Or you're, you're doing, you know, you're eating too much. And, and it sounds silly, but I mean, that's the truth. And so, I, I mean, I don't know how long it got that bad, but I want to say a couple months and so I told them all this stuff, and sure enough, they, they was like, man, you got, you got body dysmorphia. It's like, well, that does kind of make sense. But let's take a pause on that for a second, because I've never, I haven't been, I haven't been really into fitness and stuff all my life. You know what I mean? Because from, you know, throughout elementary school and, and high school, you know, we didn't really have weights there, you know, so you, you, you get what I'm saying? Yeah. I've never been like a hardcore fitness trying to be in shape all the time and all that all my life. So I got to thinking of like, well, there's got to be something that might have sparked this. 
So I want you to bear with me because I got it's a pretty funny story, but this is the only thing I th- can think of that could be the reason. So I went, when I went to college at College of the Ozarks, I had a roommate named Chase. You know Chase. You ever met Chase? Yeah. And my sweet mate, you know, a sweet mate, for people who don't know, you know, you get your room and then the room next to you, you all share a shower and all that. That's the sweet next to you, sweet mate. One of them was named was Blake. He's a state trooper now. Uh, Chase is a lawyer and Travis is a recovering alcoholic. But anyway, uh, um, they both were in shape, fit. I mean, had the abs and all that. You know, of course, when I got there, I was probably a good 245 pounds of not much muscle mass at all, but I was stocky. And so we decided to put put me on a diet. And this is what the diet consisted of. I could only have three plates a day at the cafeteria, which consisted of meat, vegetables, and you know, just the basic healthy stuff. And I could only have one extra bowl of something per one meal. So that would usually be breakfast. I'd get a bowl of cereal and then have like some eggs and stuff like that. And if they caught me cheating, they got to shoot me in the nuts with a pellet gun, one of those plastic BB guns, yeah. in my underwear from a close proximity. Happened twice. You never told they me that. They caught me. <laughs> right. Well, uh, happened twice. They caught me. Uh, anyway, needless to say, I lost, I got, because you remember back in the day, a lot of people don't know this, but I'll throw it out there now. I used to do MMA, you know, right, 17 right. fights. Uh, so that would explain why during college you got kind of thin. Yeah, I got real thin. That was yeah. why. <laughs> um, went went from 245, and I, you know, within three months or less, I got down to 205 or 210. I even got down to 195. I remember one time coming home to visit, and no one even recognized me. And I, I want to say that might have been what caused it, because after that I did end up gaining weight back you know could, would you agree that over the last 10 years i've had multiple body transformations in a way oh yeah so that's the only thing that's the only thing i can think of that caused it okay. and maybe that just triggered something of mine because i lost all that weight and i felt so great and i loved people like it's like whoa man hey awesome blah blah you know you look good you know man i can't even recognize you and it's i mean i went from like a size 40 to a size i could wear like almost 32s skinny jeans can't do that now because I'm, I'm a big boy but uh so I just wanted to tell that story real quick I, I mean that's the only thing I can think of that caused it so going back so going back to what we're talking about yeah they diagnosed me with body dysmorphia and I got out and I think I don't think I'm the only one that disagrees with what they sent me to you want to tell them what they sent me to <laughs> well they they sent you to therapy sessions with all women right well, there's all, one man one man all, mostly it, women with eating disorders yeah, it was a, like it was an eating disorder and Alex, or what's that other one bulimia and anorexia yeah it was an eating disorder therapist is what it was and for though anybody that doesn't know body dysmorphic syndrome is someone that looks in the mirror is truly honestly perce- perceiving themselves as some something different um, and the the extreme cases that we can relate that to is if anybody's ever seen My Strange Addiction, you've got these women out here that want to look like a Barbie doll, so they have ribs taken out. 
and plastic surgeries. And then you have men that want to look like Ken or Justin Bieber. So they have hair implants and they have surgeries to look like a celebrity. That's a, that's an example of body dysmorphic syndrome. But in Travis's case, we revert back to if he eats a piece of bread, he knows he needs to do this because that piece of bread is going to be sitting in his thigh if he doesn't. So when he's looking in the mirror, he's not seeing the food that he ate. He's seeing where it went to in, in retrospect mm. a little bit. Yeah, I don't know about that, but maybe kind of. I was just basically, I was never happy with how it looked. Right. And like I said earlier, it was just every negative thing that happened. I took it out on myself mm-hmm. and my appearance. And so, yeah, they set me up with this... Uh, eating disorder therapist and I remember showing up and I just from the get-go I was like what the hell is this this ain't what I need because number one you you had to bring food with you every time and you had to eat it there with everybody in front of the therapist and you couldn't go to the bathroom for 30 minutes later I was like what the fuck I I remember (laughs) you telling stories about you know there'd be women in there uh, talking about their disorder and the, and they were gossiping about their boyfriends and stuff and it's like why yeah. why am I'm I here? <laughs> I'm not throwing up and I don't have a problem with eating. I have a problem with working out to the core. Yeah. Um. So I don't. That really wasn't the best place for Travis, in my my opinion. <laughs> and so I I went back the second time because the first time I barely said shit. I didn't barely talk and they they knew. Of course I believe that's got to be natural for someone to you know first time doing something like that and so she pulls me into the office and it's like you know telling me she's like well we really want you to open up more i'm just like yo i'm just telling you man i just don't think this is what i need you know and so i only went twice i never went back and so that's that's that whole story in a nutshell but the the fact is that i still struggle struggle with it to this day and uh, I kind of have a, a better hold on it because a part of me feels like this, it is who I am. It's what I like to do. It makes me happy, but I also have to try to fight the feeling of being obsessed with it and taking it too far. Right. And I've even tried this is, now this is going to even sound even crazier. Well, not really, I guess maybe a little weirder. I've tried not working out altogether. You know what I mean? Just to, to not even, cause, you're not happy doing that. Yeah, I'm not happy doing that. So I got to try to find the right median. Well, so or median, whatever. Do you think that the, the alcohol, because what we want the audience to understand, the alcohol does that drown the the thoughts of the, you know, that you get about how you look? Yeah, I don't. How does I don't, the alcohol relate to your body dysmorphic syndrome? Yeah, I have no clue. I mean, I'm just an alcoholic. It runs, kind of runs in the family. Well, that it does. So what? <laughs> I only think the thing. The only thing about alcohol is that I have the the gene, which that's not an excuse. I just like to drink, and that coupled with the body dysmorphia, it's a pretty destructive trait to have. Yeah. So I don't know anything about that, but uh, that was just a crazy time in my life, and. Uh, I mean, like I said, I still struggle with it to this day. And I mean, whenever you're trying to struggle, when you're struggling with something, you know, you, you know, you got to get over, you got to get through it. But in my situation, I, it's, this is going to sound a little cuckoo maybe, but I feel like a part of me, I'm supposed to be like this. I'm supposed to have this somewhat obsession because it is a part of me, you know, because I feel like. I'm a firm believer, like, I wouldn't have this for no reason, you know, in a way. You, you, you probably, you can look at your face, you ain't feeling well, me. Well, 
I mean, I kind of understand that. I wish I would have gotten an ounce of that uh, need to exercise and stuff because I'm quite the opposite. I'm I'm overweight and stuff. But I think if you could use that in a positive way, just like when you and I lived together, you you helped me lose weight. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, Versus using it in a negative way, you could use it in a positive way to help others. True. True that, true that. And, uh, you know, maybe here in the near future, because right now, I, my main focus, you know, is sobriety. So, sobriety, yeah. You know, uh, that's my main focus. So after I have a for sure handle on that, I think that could be a possibility where I can try to help others in that way. Well, sis, I really appreciate you taking your time to come help tell this story. No problem. And I hope you uh, have a great day. Well, everyone, I appreciate you stopping by and listening. Uh, stay tuned because next Monday we're going to have something else for you. Have a great day, guys. We'll see you next time. Or Bye. talk to you. And talk to you next time, not see you. Right. <laughs> Later. Bye.